Hello and welcome to Winning in Work, the show turning the rat race into a happy place. I'm your host, Nikki Pack, and today we're going to talk about how to find your voice and be heard in the workplace with Miriam Chancellor. Most of us, even those at the top, struggle with public speaking anxiety, so you are not alone. In fact, glossophobia or fear of public speaking is a very common phobia and one that is believed to affect up to 75% of the population. In today's show, we'll discuss the fear of public speaking and what you need to know to overcome this. We'll give you the tools and the tips you need to speak confidently in the workplace and get yourself heard. So our guest today is Miriam Chancellor. Miriam is a public speaking and presentation coach and founder of Naked Audience, a public speaking and presentation coaching consultancy that works with clients to overcome public speaking obstacles um, and to enable them to achieve their professional goals. So hi, Miriam. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, So to kick off, what sparked your interest in public speaking? Oh, big question. So for a bit of context, I grew up in Tauranga. I'm the youngest of three children. And I would describe my upbringing as stable and loving. I mean, mum was a full-time mum and she really devoted herself to us kids. And uh, dad was was and still is uh, a doctor. And in terms of that initial interest, it was my mum. And the reason being, she had been involved in speech and drama growing up and she saw the benefits that it gave her as an adult. So she decided that me and my siblings would go through the equivalent training, which was which is speech and drama, and setting grades every year until by the end of my school league, I'd set my ATCL, my speech and drama qualifications. So that's what really kickstarted us, kickstarted my relationship with with public speaking, and it was so valuable because it taught me confidence. It taught me how to speak clearly. And ultimately, it normalized speaking in front of a group. I mean, I even have um, memories of me practicing my speech and drama pieces to my siblings after dinner, where they would be all lined up on a couch and, you know, would present our, what well, I'd present my, my piece, whatever it was, whether it was a character monologue or a, uh, you know, prose extract or a poem and afterwards they would give their feedback which was often prefaced by the phrase correction is not rejection which I think is an excellent (laughs) phrase (laughs) although to be fair my siblings sometimes they just said that it was almost equivalent to saying no offense yeah before then unleashing a whole lot of (laughs) offensive comments but but to answer your question it was certainly speech and drama that got the ball rolling and taught me the valuable skills uh of, of public speaking. That's awesome. Because um, that is actually something that you don't think about. You think that when you go into doing speech and drama and things like that as a child, it's mostly because parents want their children to be on the stage or on TV or something like that. You don't actually think about doing it to set your child up for that confidence and being able to speak publicly. Exactly. I mean, you you did you studied a drama and theatre degree, yeah. right? So you kind of relate relate in that yeah. respect. And it was interesting. I when I got to university, 
Uh, and I took a gap year after school and, and did some other stuff. But when I got to university, I remember my first university presentation and I was kind of like, why is everyone struggling with this so much? Like, isn't this just straightforward? And you, you do just take those skills for granted. Whatever, you know, your parents got you into as a, as a child, you do take it for granted. And it's not until you reach adulthood or you, you go out on your own that you realize what you have is, is not typical. So yeah, that that was my experience. Yeah. Wow, and the fact that you have your your siblings as your biggest critics as well. Um. <laughs> <laughs> they still are. They still are. Oh yeah. <laughs> good, good for better or for worse. That is brilliant. Um, because you do hear about children that when they're younger, they perform in front of their parents, and they, you know, they have their own little shows that they make up and things like that. So. Um, Are you speaking from experience here, Nikki? Kind of. I never, I never performed to my parents, but I did used to line up for my teddy bears um, alongside the wall in my bedroom when I was younger, oh. and um, yeah, and have my own little acting room. Um, so yeah, oh, I love it. <laughs> but that does really help you. You don't think about it when you're younger, but it does actually help you throughout the rest of your life. Um, Absolutely. But so you, so from there, you you obviously um, enjoyed it enough to to take it forward into your career now yes I mean it was it was organic I mean I had no idea that you could make a job out of out of public speaking coaching uh, and the the way it got there is uh, the way I got there was uh, as I said after high school I I took a year away I uh, worked overseas and came back started studying law that didn't work out. Right. Switched to comms, uh, communications mm-hmm. at AUT, which I enjoyed, but then ended up in executive recruitment. I think the the benefit of doing that was it taught me I enjoyed working with top professionals. So that was a little thing I stored away in my mind mm-hmm. uh, until eventually, parallel to this, I was involved in Toastmasters until I became president of Auckland Toastmasters. And through that, I was shoulder tapped to run a few workshops for organizations in and around Auckland. And I remember the first workshop I ran and it, it was, it was, you know, I was nervous. I mean, I meant to be the public speaking expert and I was, I was nervous and I was delivering it to this group of it was the organization was called women in architecture so a whole lot of whole lot of women mm. and i remember my husband came along in the audience because it was a it was a not a corporate in-house training session it was open to the public and my husband came along and he's one of those types that's very careful with his words he's analytical he's very measured and afterwards he said to me that was that was so good. You should probably be doing it for a job. Wow. <laughs> so that's what <laughs> basically started it. Yeah. Mm. And, and so I took that workshop around various other organizations until uh, I realized there was a market for this and I was, and I was good at it. Uh, so that's basically what started Naked Audience. So a few months later, I formalized my branding and opened my offering to one-on-one executive coaching. And then that took off until I basically went all in full time, uh, awesome. left my, left my job. Well, yeah, left my job and went, went in to do this full time. Yeah. And it's, you can tell how much you love it. And, um, I know that we met initially through, um, when you were speak, doing your speaking, um, off the cuff, I think it was, um, yeah. 
Yeah. So, and that was last last lockdown, March 2020, um, April 2020 lockdown. Gosh. Um, so, and I, what really appealed to me in that was how much you loved um, doing that and encouraging people to speak publicly because it is really scary to do um, and actually really hard to do. Um, so that's why I, I think that's how we connected was I watched how much you loved helping people um, just get, get over that fear. And, and actually it didn't feel so hard and it, cause it can, and it does matter. I mean, it makes a difference, you know, the environment that you're in, but it can be so hard to speak in public and, you know, to speak up in meetings or to speak up in the workplace um, that it just having someone in your corner, someone to, sort of show you the way forward makes such a huge difference. Totally. It, it, it's very challenging, especially if you haven't had any any formalised training. Uh, but just to go off the back of that, you know, I think there are, <clears throat> if someone makes public speaking look easy, it's for typically one of three reasons. Firstly, they're a seasoned, experienced speaker. Mm. Secondly, they're extremely prepared or thirdly, they're an egomaniac, like uh, what's his name, David Brent off the office. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if we can rule out the fact that you know you and your listener pals are not egomaniacs, and if they're not extremely uh, experienced, then just be prepared because that's basically going to set you up for success. It's going to give you the confidence to go in and do a good job. As a result, the affirmation you get from that solid performance that you prepared for, whether it's from your colleagues or whether it's from the client that chose you as the service provider from the pitch you just gave, that, that those little signs that you did a good job will give you the confidence to do it again in future. So that's what I would suggest for those who are struggling in, in that space where they may be lacking confidence is is just be prepared. Yeah, I I think that makes a huge difference. I think it's it's also to know that it's completely normal to be afraid or to have that fear and actually to use it rather than to shy away from it because I know that I still get really nervous whenever I have to speak and and I have done formalized training and I you know my degree was in performance and psychology and and I've been doing it for years, but I still get really nervous, um, you know, and I can feel myself shaking and I go through all of those things. And I think it's knowing that that's normal and it's how you deal with it rather than being af- afraid of it and sort of running from it. Totally. Yes. So that, that's an interesting point. If you think about any activity that we do for the first time, I mean, even, you know, before we hit record, we were talking about you as a as a new parent it's hard mm. it's uncomfortable but as time goes on it gets easier uh, to provide a different example <laughs> I've just bought myself a pair of rollerblades wow and okay. it is so yeah yeah and it is so hard and I haven't put on a pair for about 20 years and I look like a total dweeb I'm wobbling all over the show and it feels uncomfortable but if we can just approach, you know, rollerblading or parenting or public speaking by through reinterpreting that discomfort as I am growing and I am learning. That is what this feeling is because 
like so many things in life, uncomfortable gets comfortable very quickly. We just need to keep at it and, and work through that discomfort to, to come out the other side. That's so true. Because it's also actually being fearless as well and not caring what other people think because getting on rollerblades, I think, <laughs> when you're not seven... <laughs> I swear that most people that see me like wobbling down uh, Tamaki Drive and Mission Bay are like, what is she doing? In fact, I had to, I had to, so you know at the pedestrian crossing where there are those bumps uh, for uh, blind people to know that they're approaching a pedestrian crossing. Uh, There were the little dot ones and the wheels of the rollerblades kind of got stuck in in between Uh them and it slowed me right down until I was like, uh, uh," and and I, I was passing, and I was the pedestrian crossing. It was so busy as well because it was just Labor Weekend, and so there are heaps of cars out. And I'm tr- trying to make my way across this pedestrian crossing, and this the car that stopped for me yells out, "You're doing a great job!" <laughs> like, the fact that he yelled that out clearly showed that's not what he thought, but it was kind of him to give me that support. Oh wow! Um, which actually is a good segue because feedback is also incredibly important when it comes to things like this. It's not just exposure to the activity, it's feedback, which is why, you know, coaches, as, as we know, is so valuable. It's having that external person feed into you and say, well, you did this great, but you need to work on this. And unfortunately in our careers, there is this level of expectation that we constantly perform well and we don't always get that feedback even when we're when we're desperate for it so that yeah that's why coaches are so important so that's what I'd recommend to, to people as well is if you don't have a coach or if you if you don't have someone that helps you in that way seek that feedback so maybe just asking a colleague before the presentation hey look I really want to get better can you just keep an eye out on things that I did well and what I can work on in the future because I really want to learn. Yeah. Uh, and more often than not, people are so happy to help. That is true. People are. And and actually, with if you've got good friends around you, that is what gives you the confidence to, I say friends, colleagues, but that give you the confidence to speak up. Because um, it is really difficult. And you say about being prepared, but when you're in a meeting, for instance, and you don't know what the topic of the meeting's about, how do you just speak up without, I guess, I say without feeling like you're going to say something stupid because you do, you almost talk yourself out of it. You go, oh, I want to put my hand up to say this. And then you go, oh, but what happens if people take it the wrong way? Or Yes, yeah. it's, a, it's a tricky one. And you're right. I, I should have prefaced that. We can't always prepare for speaking up because often it's, we, 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 we we are required to speak in in meetings, which are so often impromptu speaking scenarios. They're, they're conversations, right? So we mm. can't always prepare for them. In terms of speaking up in meetings, I think what people tend to struggle with the most is expressing an opinion that is different to what's already being discussed or providing a different perspective on what's being discussed. I'd say that that's when it's most challenging to speak up in a meeting. Mm. And if that is the case, I'd suggest two things. Firstly, recognize that healthy conflict 
is so good. <laughs> it is so valuable. Yeah. It, it fosters deeper relationships between colleagues. It's it creates uh, innovative problem solving. It is incredibly value. So valuable. So once you get in that in your head, in theory, it should. <sighs> alter the way you perceive speaking up because suddenly you have almost an obligation to contribute to the discussion for the 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 betterment for the, for the good of that meeting and for the good of your colleagues and for the good of of the business so that's the first thing i would suggest is is being mindful that healthy conflict is incredibly valuable uh, secondly it's all in your delivery. It's all in your execution. Uh, you know, we interpret what people are saying by how they say it. So if we compare these two uh, statements, if I was to uh, give you an example. Okay. So Nikki, let's say we're, we're in a meeting uh, and you said something that I disagreed with. Compare this first statement. Nikki, that Project timeline is completely unrealistic. We need more time to account for the problems that are going to occur along the way. Versus, Nikki, I'm I'm with you, man. I would love to get this project done by that certain date. How do you suggest we overcome uh, any any problems that might arise? Like, for instance, the the client taking a while to sign off on the project, like they did last time. Mm. You see, like it's yeah. just completely different. So just just to recap on that <laughs> very long-winded answer. So conflict is good. Speaking up is good. You're, you, you have an obligation to. You're employed for a reason. You have expertise. You're in the room for a reason. So speak up if you have something to share. Secondly, just be mindful of how you deliver that contribution because you're at no risk, well, I should say very little risk of someone uh, interpreting your interjection or your contribution to the discussion as malicious or as, uh, you know, unhelpful if you say it in a respectful and helpful way. I think that is much needed in today's society, um, <laughs> healthy conflict, um, because that is it. It's all about your delivery and it's about how you say it. And that's actually something that, everybody in the meeting needs to take responsibility for not just the person that's presenting um, or that asks the question, you know, or the person speaking, for instance, it's got to be everybody that's listening should also be taking, you know, be mindful of how hard it is for people to stand up there and, and speak. So you're totally. And just, exactly. And, and just to go off yeah. that before I forget in saying that, I totally agree. There is also somewhat, uh, well, put it this way, the host can help with that. So if you're the host of the meeting, when you get in there, you can actually set the expectations around participation from your meeting attendees, saying something like, look, this is a collaborative meeting. We do want your input. So please do chime in if you have something to add. And by just normalizing that or expect setting an expectation that that is what's required for the meeting to mm. be a success can make participants feel more comfortable contributing to the meeting. Also, as a meeting participant, look out for your other meeting participants, especially those who are perhaps on the shyer side or they're more junior. 
So if you see someone is trying to chime in, but they're getting talked over the top of saying something like, oh, Nikki, I, I noticed you did want to say something earlier. I would, I would love to hear what you want to contribute. Mm. So we can also look out for one another in those ways. Uh, but you're so right. There is a, there is a group responsibility to ensure that everyone, everyone is hurt. Yeah. I, th- I, I actually like that. And it means that you work more as a team and the meetings is more, it's just, yeah, it's a lot nicer than I feel that you always come across certain situations where in a meeting you feel like everyone could be against you at some point before you've even opened your mouth. And it's just really nice when you can look at it as a way of everybody coming together and and actively wanting to listen to what the other person wants to say. Totally. So I think that's, yeah, it makes a huge difference. Um, so in terms of, we've spoken about how, to, you know, speaking up in meetings when you're on online meetings, for instance, which we're all doing at the moment um, and don't know how long for, um, what are the big mistakes that you've seen people make? Um, and I say mistakes in a positive way, not a negative way. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. There are many. Uh, in fact, I was having a conversation with someone this morning and I was saying, or we were talking about the fact that Communication over Zoom and Microsoft Teams is still communication. It's just that whatever weaknesses we have in the real world are almost exaggerated over these platforms. So we do need to be mindful of it. I would say common mistakes, get back to basics. Think about your setup. I mean, how many times have we all had a good look up someone's nose? I mean, simple as camera eyeline. My laptop at present is propped up on a tissue box. It doesn't need to be glamorous, but, you know, your mm. camera should be at eye level. Think about your audio. You know, we've both got our headphones on. You were saying before you put your headphones on that you should put them on to reduce the the reverberating, the the echo in the room. You know, headphones improve your quality. Uh, things like looking into the camera when speaking rather than looking around or even worse, looking at your double screen, which is over here. So you're <laughs> meeting yeah. attendees and getting a good look at your, your cheek. So all those little things around setup, and I could talk about this for days, so I, I won't, but they do add up. And it's those small signals that improve your overall professionalism and competence over these platforms. Uh, unfortunately, people are still getting them wrong. Maybe it's because we are getting sick of these these platforms, which I completely understand. Mm. But if you can get that right, then then that that would be that would be good. Yeah, um, I think one of the things I I can't remember if it was you mentioned it in a video or if it was it, it must have been in one of your LinkedIn videos that you did at one point. And the one thing that really hit home to me was about looking at the camera rather than looking down at the screen. And I have this huge problem where I always look at the screen because I'm so intrigued by the person that I'm talking to. But when it does come to presenting, it is all about looking up and because the camera always sits on top of the computer. Exactly. Well, you're better than most people, Nikki, because most people just look at themselves on the screen when speaking. Uh, But look, it is tricky. And there is a benefit, certainly, with checking in to whoever you're talking to, to ensure that what you're saying is resonating or that they're, they're getting it. 
but it's that balance, isn't it, between ensuring that when you're speaking, ideally you're con- you're speaking to the camera, but when yeah. perhaps when your audience is speaking or when your colleague is speaking, then you can look at them on the screen. If you are one of those people that are very tempted to look at themselves on the screen when speaking, which can be quite distracting, you can you can actually hide self-view. So there is a setting, certainly in Zoom, I'm not sure if it's in Teams. I think I looked the other day and that wasn't possible in Teams, but certainly if you're using Zoom, you can, you can switch off uh, self-view. Ah, that's actually, that works well in some ways, not in others, because if there's something <laughs> on your face and you haven't seen oh, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> there's always that. Exactly. Um, you know, that during the time when everyone was coming up as cats or potatoes. Or <laughs> oh, I miss that. I miss that trend. Oh. Oh. <laughs> um, but one thing that you did mention earlier and to bring it back is when you are spoken over, it would be great if you've got a host that can that can be there for you and can say, you know, what did you need to say? Um, what happens if you are being spoken over and you really do want to say something and you're on, on like, you know, you are on Zoom and what do you do in that situation? Excellent question. So firstly, I would say in terms of interruptions, there are two, interruptions tend to fall along a spectrum. So at one side of the spectrum, you've got collaborative interruptions where mm. people will interrupt to express agreement or reinforce your idea. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got intrusive interruptions. And those are the interruptions that are disruptive. They aim to change the direction of the conversation or, or they hijack the conversation completely. Mm. Most interruptions tend to be on the collaborative side of things. Unless there are some serious cultural issues within the organization, then that's a conversation to have with your superior uh, outside of the meeting. But bear in mind that most interruptions do tend to be collaborative and they do tend to regulate themselves. If you are interrupted, firstly, don't take it personally because chances are that that person uh, hasn't... Uh, yeah, they haven't, they, they weren't even aware that they were doing it. Uh, and secondly, hmm, nope, I've had a break. <laughs> it's gone, it's gone. <laughs> I would take it personally this week. But in terms of strategizing, in terms of how you manage yeah. them, there, there are a couple of approaches. And the first is what I've in the past called the polite patty. Now, the polite patty approach is what happens, or well, what, what you do is if you get interrupted, you pause wherever you're up to in your conversation or, or what you were saying and you remember where you were up to. So don't forget the exact word you're on at the moment of the interruption. Then what you do, you let the person that interrupted you just finish what they were saying. You don't need a button, just, just finish what they're saying. And then when they're finished, you continue at the precise moment you were interrupted. So it's as if you're choosing to ignore the fact that you were interrupted and you carry on from where you left off. That sometimes works, but in reality, meetings are very messy. So it doesn't always work because what ends up happening is, is loudmouth Larry who interrupted you was just interrupted by another loudmouth Larry and then the conversation's moved on and, and you don't have a chance to continue what you're saying. So that can work. The other approach is the firm felicity. <laughs> The firm felicity is basically when you have to really assert yourself and 
the key, and I'll talk about this in a moment, is is in the delivery. So let's say mm-hmm. you were speaking about something, loudmouth Larry chimes in, interrupts you, and then the firm felicity basically interrupts the interrupter to say, can I just finish that thought? Mm, Something like that. Now, as you can imagine, it's all in the way you do it. Let's say you interrupted me, Nikki, and I said, can I just finish that thought? Ugh, that would be terrible. No passive, don't be passive aggressive. Don't be, don't show any agitation whatsoever. You need to be completely emotionless, Mm. but it will have the desired effect. And in reality, unfortunately, uh, sometimes we do have to fight to, to make ourselves hurt. So that, that is the, that is the reality of a, of a lot of meetings. Uh, so that's what I would suggest is there's the, the polite patty, which is picking up from where you left off after, when you, after you've been interrupted, or the firm felicity, which is generally more effective in, in collaborative meetings, which involves interrupting the interrupter and just regaining control of the conversation. And more often than not, mm. as I said, loudmouth Larry didn't even know he, he interrupted you and he'll probably apologize and, and step back and, and let you continue what you're saying. I like that. It's the whole don't take it personally. You know, it's and you're right. A lot of the time you don't realise but you are just so excited to get your point across. You don't think about, um, you know, if you've got there before somebody else, you don't think, oh, should I have checked to make sure that I hadn't you know, spoken over anyone? You just you just want to get your own point across and get out and get it out, um, especially especially the difference between introverts and extroverts. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so hard. I really do feel for uh, those that are on the introverted side. In fact, it's interesting. I actually had a conversation with someone in the middle of a workshop I was running, and she came out and said that yes, I am a I am an introvert. And I asked if she minded if I asked her a few questions about what that was like in her experience of meetings. Now, this is only speaking from her perspective, so I can't say that this applies to all introverts but Mm. her experience was she's firstly and foremost she's not passive she's just listening she she's listening oriented and I think that's that's a good way to think about it rather than they're just opting out of the meeting no no Mm. they're listening intently Uh, and secondly she did like to be she did like to contribute Uh, sometimes it would involve someone creating space for her to contribute, whether that was the host or another meeting participant Hmm. and that she appreciated. But if she didn't have anything to add, don't hassle her, leave it at that. So I think we make people feel uncomfortable when we say, Hey, uh, Jackie, do you want to share something here? No. Oh, go on. Come on. We want to hear from you. Go on. What have you got to say? Yeah. And that's, that's not a good idea. So it is, it is worth being mindful of the different personality types. We all operate very differently. So it's, it's certainly worth taking that into consideration. Yeah, very true. And actually not even mentioning some, just saying, does anybody have anything else left to say at this point? Um, it always works quite well um, before you ever close a meeting because some people do and they just need that, that time to be able to put their hand up and, and say, yeah, actually. Exactly. Be asked to stop talking so I can yeah. speak. And if it is, if there is someone that does tend to be a loudmouth, Larry, as the host of a, of the meeting, that's look. It's so tricky to manage because you don't want to suppress their enthusiasm or or 
you know, their willingness to, to contribute. But sometimes you do need to have a conversation with them outside the meeting. And because those people aren't necessarily aware that they are dominating most of the conversation. Mm. Uh, in, in the past, I've actually had the experience with running workshops where I've had one person that's constantly contributing and I've had to publicly say, and again, I was mindful of my delivery and it's all in how you do it. I had to say something like, thank you for contributing so far. I'm just keen to see if anyone else wants to participate at this stage. Yeah. Uh, which is, oh, it's so niggly doing that because you don't want to hurt their feelings, but sometimes it needs to be done. And actually you're doing them a favor in, in some regards because they'll learn from that, hopefully, <laughs> and, yeah. and tailor their communication in, in other contexts. And it works as well because you are doing public speaking. So <laughs> you know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it all works. Um, when looking at the time, thank you so much. Um, for coming on the show. I have to just ask you one last question before we yes. finish up. And that is what does winning in work mean to you? Oh, I was looking forward <laughs> to this question. So my winning at work is when you're winning at work. Is that cheesy? Has someone else used that before? I don't know. No, no. And I think that's, that's brilliant because what you do is you help people to win in work. So, yeah. hey, that works well hey, for me. Yeah. And if <laughs> I, I was, that. if I was just to give you a bit of example, um, I, the, the thing with, with public speaking is it is hard as we've already talked about. And so often it's a big barrier getting in the way of people progressing in their careers and a little winning at work moment for me recently was, uh, I was before lockdown, I was in Queenstown delivering a workshop for a conference down there. The organizer was a, was a client of mine. And at the end of the entire conference, he gave he had no speaking roles throughout the conference, but at the end of the conference, he gave a summary of all the speakers and, and what we'd learned and key takeaways, et cetera. And afterwards he came up to me. He's like, Miriam, Miriam, oh, what, what, was that okay? What, what I said? And I wow. said, yes, I said, you were fantastic. I said, you were succinct. You, you drew on some key takeaways. You, you were enthusiastic. You thanked the appropriate people. It was perfect. And he just looked at me and he said, I would have never done that without your help. <laughs> and oh. so I, I felt I nearly cried because I was like, that is what this is about. It's, it's yeah. as you know, Nikki, you know, it's about unlocking people's potential. It's about removing the obstacles that are getting in the way of them from living, fulfilling, awesome careers. So, yeah, I'll leave you with that. That winning, my winning at work is, is helping you win at work. I love that. And it's, yeah, that's, I don't actually know what else to say to that because it's pretty much, that's it. Um, making a difference to so many people in their, and actually to, for, to fulfill their careers when this is what you do, you know, five days out of seven, sort of for, mo for most people anyway, you know, nine to fives, it, to be able to go into work and have the confidence to be able to say how you feel and not feel that you you're almost being backed into a corner. It's giving you that confidence. So thank you so much for Absolutely. coming on the show and helping our listeners with. My pleasure. There's 70, what is it? 75% of the population tend to have um, a fear around uh, an anxiety yep. around public speaking. So yeah. Yes, and then again, if it was much. easy, everyone would do it. So there we are. Yeah. And 
that's a good point and then we would get a word in edgeways so exactly (laughs) so thank you very very much I guess we've covered a lot of ground the big takeaways that I've got here is to be mindful of delivery that is one of the biggest things it's about how you say it not just what you say it's being prepared if you can be prepared um and it's about your setup so whether you have your laptop (laughs) on a tissue box or um you know or whether you're as a, whether you're just looking at the camera or looking at the person that you're speaking to, that it's just it's delivery, it's be, be, being prepared and um, and having a good setup. So thank awesome. you very, very much. My really. pleasure. Thank you, Nikki. <laughs> Speak soon. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Winning in Work. If you enjoyed today's show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, head over to winningandwork.com to gain access to our free career resources. Till next time.